Hmm. Let's leave race out of it for a minute. People seem to think that if IQ is meaningful at all, if there really are differences from one person to the next, from one group to the next, then that's bad. It's bad because then if someone's IQ is below average, then maybe that below average IQ person is seen as someone who can't have the same skills or passion or worth. And, of course, maybe this fear just stems from a wrong definition. So, if you could humor me, how precisely do you define IQ and what predictions could be made about a person with low compared to high IQ? Well, let's have as the first statement that uh, the whole idea that if your IQ is low, that this is terrible, if your IQ is high, this is wonderful. For certain kinds of uh, occupations, yeah, it is important. If you don't have a really, really high IQ, you are not going to be a successful theoretical physicist, okay? Uh, because that, or, or a pure mathematician, and so forth. For that matter, there are things like the law and medicine and other uh, intellectual topics where the skill set you need is the skill sets measured by IQ. But this is not a statement about whether a person you meet will be funny, will be loyal, will be generous, will be a person you want to hang out with. None of those things are determined by a person's IQ. And furthermore, the idea that above IQ people have that they should feel sorry for people with lower IQs is nonsense. I'm trying to get that across by pointing out that uh, most of us don't look upon people who are smarter as we are than we are as superior. I know I don't. I know lots of people who, who have higher IQs than I do. I don't think they are superior human beings to me. I'm perfectly happy with where I stand. Well, guess what? A lot of people who aren't as smart as I am don't look at me and say, oh, oh, Charles is superior to me. It never crosses their mind. I am better at some kinds of intellectual tasks than they are, just as they are better at other kinds of tasks than I am, and so what? But getting those points across, particularly to academics, particularly to kids in elite colleges, is really tough. Let's dig in a little deeper. What do you say to the followers of... Howard Gardner, who will say an IQ test is not a comprehensive measure of intelligence, that there are multiple intelligences that can be cashed out in the form of talents or skills. Well, I'm, a, I'm in print as to what I think about uh, Howard uh, in a book called Real Education, which is, I think, uh, the concept of multiple intelligence is very useful, partly because I agree with Howard that this thing called IQ has been elevated to a pedestal uh, that is uh, is inappropriate. All of the, the only quibble I have with with uh, Howard, he, he wants to call them intelligence, and if he just called them talents, then I wouldn't have any problem with him at all. When you talk about intelligence, you are talking about a technical issue of that can be measured with IQ tests and has statistical standards of reliability and validity, and you can test whether other kinds of talents correlate with IQ. So among our, uh, Howard's intelligences are visual-spatial skills and verbal skills, 
That's two of them. And those are what IQ tests measure. Well, then you have interpersonal skills and you have intrapersonal skills, uh, which he calls intelligences. Are those important? Yes. Uh, can we measure those in ways which, which demonstrates they are conceptually, uh, uh, substantively distinct, I should say, substantively distinct from IQ? And the answer is no, we can't. So Howard Gardner himself concedes that his intelligences don't meet scientific criteria that IQ does. People have lots of different talents. That's absolutely true. And I think, I think his way of talking about it is very useful. And the way to parse that, I guess, is that if we're going to give all of those talents the, the term intelligence, then we're making that, that definition of intelligence do multiple times the work it really needs to do in defining something. Yeah, and there's another problem, too, which is that there is this um, kind of glib notion that, oh, you may be high in visual spatial skills, uh, and, and the other person may be low, but then that other person is very high in in some other of uh, Howard's intelligences. And that may be true, and that often is true. But I think one of the things we have to come to grips with in coming up with a fair and just society is that we need to have valued places for people who got the short end of the stick across the, the board. I mean, there are a lot of people who, well, half of the, half of the kids are below average, uh, is, is one way to think of it. And you do not have at your disposal all these magical tools to make everybody above average. And, and I'm afraid people avoid hard thinking about what is needed by saying, oh, well, we'll have the right training program, we'll have the right educational system, and everybody will be above average. It doesn't work that way. I, I want to have a society in which people, the whole range of talents, including the low range, can have a place in their communities where they are valued. You answer this pretty extensively, but I'll just say some people will say, when it comes to your conclusions about IQ discrepancies between different racial groups, some will say, well, you're too conveniently overlooking environmental factors at play. And so what's your response to them there? The response is that, uh, uh, yeah, environment is definitely involved. The, the problem that we got into and the reason that there is all this sturm und drang that has attended the bell curve is because of one paragraph, actually one sentence in one paragraph. In the notorious chapter 13 that discusses ethnic differences, by the way, your readers might want to note, gee, if that doesn't come until chapter 13, maybe the whole book wasn't about race. Anyway, in chapter 13, could we talk about the existence of differences in scores, in mean scores? And we then say, okay, people fret about whether this is environmental or genetic. And we then do three things. One is we point out some reasons for thinking the environment might be involved. We point out some reasons for uh, thinking that genetics might be involved. And thirdly, we try to make the case that it doesn't make nearly as much difference as people think, uh, which it is, or how much of which. And the reason they say that is that people have this sense that if the differences are environmental, we know how to fix them. Whereas if the differences are genetic, they are unfixable. The, the empirical fact is that Changing IQ, raising IQ, has been a holy grail of educational practice now for a century. 
and and it's very very hard to do. Uh, in fact, the, the the gains that can be made tend to be modest even on the exit test, and then they fade out after a couple of years. So the short answer is. Raising IQ by changing the environment is tough. It's, it's very, very tough. And since that's the case, it's not necessarily true that an environmental difference is less scary than a genetic difference. Well, I said we're going to do the, here's the paragraph of the sentence. I can quote it almost verbatim. Uh, at, this is after we've explained the various arguments for genetic and environmental mm-hmm. effects. We say, if at this point you are convinced that either the genetic or the environmental explanation has won out to the exclusion of the other, we have not done a good enough job of presenting one side or the other. In our view, it is highly likely that both genes and environment have something to do with ethnic differences. Uh, how much is environmental and how much is genetic? We are resolutely agnostic on that issue, as far as we can tell. The data do not permit an estimate. That's it. That's the whole thing. That's the whole hateful, evil uh, diatribe about race and genes in the entire bell curve. You can see why I get frustrated at the characterization of the book.